Hello and welcome to the Engineer Your Success Leadership and Life Harmony Like a Mother show. I'm your host, Kini Romanovska, award-winning journalist turned maternity leave and working motherhood strategist and CEO at Pros and Babes. Being a new mom and working mom can be hard. And we believe you should never be alone with the overwhelm of figuring out work-life balance on your own. So this is the place where you, successful mom with small kids, working in competitive corporate careers or STEM fields, come to redefine your priorities and values after having kids. Find work-life balance, make sure you're on the same team with your partner and career and family, and find belonging in an outstanding community of fellow moms so that you can create a clear path forward and you're never alone with a crushing overwhelm, isolation, or fears about balancing life and work after kids again. Get ready to engineer your personal and professional success and find life harmony without compromising family happiness or health. Did you know that women tend to lose up to a million dollars over a lifetime compared to men because caregiving duties impact our career and financial outcomes? And that 40% of women feel so unsupported after maternity leave, they feel like quitting, we're here to change that. It doesn't matter if you're pregnant on maternity leave or a working mom. If you love your career and want to build a life that helps you build success in personal and professional life on your terms, you're in the right place. Now let's get started. Welcome, welcome to this very special conversation. Full disclosure, the guest I have today, major girl crush, major girl crush. I love what Afsha does. So let me introduce her to you. Afshan Butt is a seasoned financial advisor with IG Wealth. Leveraging 12 years of experience in the financial services industry, Afshan and her team manage $39 million in assets for Alberta's wealthiest. Since founding her practice in 2014, she has quickly climbed the ranks, becoming one of the top 10 IG wealth advisors in Edmonton, Alberta. Outside of her practice, Afsha volunteers passionately on the front line of two causes, improving the accessibility of healthcare in developing countries and increasing financial literacy for youth and other marginalized communities across Canada. And I met Afsha about a year ago and just connected immediately with her energy and what she puts out into this world. And in the Pros and Babes community, she's been helping us develop educational resources for moms, so financial resources. So welcome, Afsha. Hi, thank you for having me. Hey to everybody listening. How are you? Thank you for joining us. We're so happy to have this conversation. One of many, you and I, we know when we start talking, we can't stop. So we're going to try to stay really, really focused on our discussion of why it's important for mothers to have knowledge and an understanding of financial planning. If you've been tuning into any of my content, you know I talk about the so-called motherhood penalty. I don't like that term. I'd love to turn it more into the motherhood advantage. But the reality is that, you know, you were told you could have it all growing up, but nobody told you how becoming a mother would affect your finances. And the reality is that the more educated you are, and if you work in a competitive field, a male-dominated field, you are even more at risk for the wage gap, for the million-dollar wealth gap that women face. So I talk about that all the time. And I truly believe that with the right amount of planning and awareness, we can minimize that financial gap that hits our finances. In fact, I believe we can eliminate it if we talk about it early enough. So that's, that's what we're talking about today. Afsha, 
first of all, tell us a little bit more about your work and your approach to financial planning. I think your approach is very unique, the way you bring education into the world. So let's let's educate people more on what you do. And then we'll dive into why it's so important for mothers to have the right financial knowledge at the right time. Yeah, I would love to speak on a little bit of what I do and how it's different. So traditionally speaking, when you think about a financial advisor or investment advisor, it's just that, right? Investments. Oh, they handle my investments. And one thing that I've been very passionate about explaining is that, you know, do you have a quarterly statement or do you have an actual financial plan? And so a lot of people have heard the term wealth management, but don't really know what it entails. And it's basically all the other areas that impact your finances, all the other areas that can actually impact your finances greater than the fee that you pay or the money that you're making in your portfolio. So that can include things like tax planning, whether it's while you're living or through your estate. That can include things like a attractive pension transfer. Um, you know, should you, do, if you wanted to do an analysis, what does that look like? Um, you know, there's retirement, but there's also income and debt management, the best way to pay down your debt, how to really increase your cash flow. Those conversations are all very important in order to ultimately build your net worth over time. And so that's how I speak about it, that what do I do? You know, if in an elevator, somebody asked me and I had 10 seconds to really describe what my team and I do, it's that we create projections for people to ultimately build their net worth over time. And that includes investment management, tax planning, income and debt management, retirement, estate, your business, how that affects you, and really ultimately increasing your quality of life. Yes, I, I remember one of the first conversations we had and I, I cried. I cried. I, I thought, where have you been all my life? I really wanted to work with somebody like you. And I consider myself financially literate. I was the teenager who ordered Money Sense magazine. Okay. So RESPs, RSPs, TFSAs, those are all things I knew about. But I realized that I was just scratching the surface. And if I'm going to rewind to about, well, just over four years ago, because my son turned four this weekend, uh, when I was pregnant and planning for my first maternity leave, I had a high level of financial literacy, but boy, did I ever have to fight to pull the information to do yes. any sort of financial planning, right? Because yeah. we know what happens when you become a mother. Mm -hmm. First of all, you cannot plan exactly for when you're going to get pregnant. So, I mean, once, you know, once you have that bun in the oven and things are, are going okay, you have like the clock is ticking, you have nine or 10 months to mm -hmm. figure so many things out. So, you know, you're going to be announcing your pregnancy. You're going to be going on maternity leave in Canada. You know, we get EI, so we get some money, but it's kind of hard to calculate how much you're going to get. You might get a top up depending on your employer, or you may not. You may have to decide on your benefits and decide on your insurance. And, you know, that may, might make thousands of dollars of difference for your cash flow you will have to decide whether you do a pension buyback or not. And you don't, you know, you don't exactly know what that's going to look like. Whoa, so many variables. And even for yes. the most savvy person and tax planning, and then you get into childcare and like everything changes, right? So even for the most financially savvy person, how do you put it all together? Because mm -hmm. I remember creating so many spreadsheets and even working with a four-fee financial advisor at Red Money Sense. So I went after the one that they, they recommended and, and still like, I couldn't get the big picture. I'd get a, yeah. you know, a few answers, uh, questions answered, but the other ones were like, well, I can't give you advice on that. And I was so frustrated. I thought I had figured it out. So, so why, you know, jumping into our question, I think that almost answers the question to some extent, but why is it important for mothers to 
increase their financial literacy and to plan for this season of their life and for the future. You know, you brought up so many good points and it's, it's why you do the work that you do. It's why we've talked about um, women and then specifically mothers and how they get overlooked. It's exactly what you just said, right? If you look at statistics, like let's just start right there. U.S. research shows that when a woman becomes newly single, whether it's from separation, it could be a death, divorce, anything like that, on average, her net worth is, has a 70% decline three years after separation, right? So if you think about that in numbers and you're like, okay, so if this person got 2 million, had $2 million as a net worth in three years, that would dwindle down to 600,000. That is a monster, it's a monster decline. And why after three years after separation, what's happening there? Let's look at the statistic. Now let's understand why, right? It's no, it's, it's not a simple split. A lot of the times in households, it's like, well, my partner takes care of this and I do this. Right. So when you're asking me, why is it important for mothers to have knowledge and understanding of financial planning? It's because it's not a simple split where one person does groceries and then the other person's, you know, going to shovel or mow the lawn. Your finances affect every part of your household, your quality of life, your dreams and aspirations. I mean, your career growth, everything that you want, it's tied to your finances because it's a tool to get what you want. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, we don't like we don't want to to spread fear. And obviously, we're going to be doing a lot of education. But we know that 40% of marriages end in divorce, more or less. And we we also know that women outlive men, we retire earlier, and we're more at risk for certain types of illnesses. So even even if you don't separate from your spouse, even if you have a great relationship, even if you're on the same page, The reality is that if you're a woman, you're listening to this recording, you're listening to this podcast, you will outlive your partner and your caregiving duties will shape your career outcomes in a completely different way. So this report from Merrill Lynch that I read that talks about the million dollar wealth gap for women, they see that women spend about 40% of their life outside of the workforce, right? And that our care, our career outcomes are disproportionately shaped by caregiving duties. So, so breaks for taking care of young children, and then also for the elderly parents, right? Yeah, yeah. It's called called the sandwich generation, right? It's like you're taking on this caregiving role for your parents, and depending on what culture or community you're from, that's a no, not even a choice. That's what happens, and then you have young children to take care of. And like many other things, which need is going to be not acknowledged? It's going to be the mothers. Unfortunately, right? Because when we we have that instinct to take care of others, just from the start, you have this new life in your arms and you're ready to do anything. And then you have to, you have to rebuild those habits. We were talking about that today in one of our, in one of our classes in terms of emotional intelligence, the foundation of it has to be self-care. So yeah. we, as mothers, we have to rebuild those self-care habits because there's always so much to take care of. And in the beginning, like when you go back to work, you can think, well, going to work is part of my self-care. It can feel like that in the beginning, right? You spend your time on mat leave and you, you set aside your, your career ambition. So going back to work can actually feel like self-care, like, oh, I get to use my brain again. Again. But yeah. before you know it, life takes over and, you know, the stress of life takes over and the career is rewarding, mm-hmm. but 
we overlook taking care of ourselves and of our finances. And yes. on maternity leave, we often get into the scarcity mindset, right? Like, uh, I don't have enough money, so I can't do this. I can't do that, blah, blah, blah. So how do we navigate this, Afsha? How do we, where do we start? Uh, this is a big, big, big topic. Let's, yeah. let's rewind to maybe, you know, mom is pregnant, right? Or future mom mm -hmm. is pregnant. She's a couple of months into her pregnancy. Things are looking good. And mm -hmm. we have to decide on some financial planning parameters. So now you're going into a family of three. A lot is going to change. There are going to be new expenses. Mm -hmm. Where do we start? I would say first and foremost, that it needs to be viewed by mothers as a necessity, right? Being involved in your finances needs to be a necessity, not like a, I should, it's you have to in order to expand your family and take on that caregiving role so that they can take on and make more informed decisions. I can't stress the importance of making informed decisions about their financial future and their children's, right? So I would say one of the first things is being involved in understanding your income and your expenses. A lot of the times what I see with women going um, you know, onto mat leave or one of the parents taking some time off is thinking like, I can no longer contribute to my plan. My income is going to drop. So this whole part of my financial plan is just going to take a pause until we get our bearings in and we understand what this is going to entail. And what I would want to encourage people to understand is that actually a financial plan helps you with flexibility. It helps you understand that if you're not going to go back to work, if you're going to take time off longer or you're going to go back earlier, that your plan is going to have, you know, the tools necessary to adjust and say, well, how does this affect you? Um, one of the things that I would suggest is that if you are, you work in the world of percentages, right? If you're used to an $80,000 income or 110 or 60,000, whatever it is, what percentage were you putting away long-term? What percentage were you putting away short-term? And then if you're reducing that to now being, let's say, just your one spouse's income and one person being on, um, you know, mat leave, you just reduce the percentage. You can still put things away in the long term. You can still put things away for the short term or midterm, but it's just a lower in terms of percentages. Oftentimes what ends up happening is you put a complete pause. And then when you go back, it's like, oh, well, no, we can't go back until, or we have, now there's this pressure that you have to go back because all along your savings and investing had taken a huge pause. And there's this massive pressure for the mom to go back and make more of an income or have career growth and all these things. And what we want is to rather than pause, reduce the amount that you're putting away, but still continue to hit those goals and those targets, just reducing it and finding out what that right amount is, Right. And then after that, when you're deciding that you need, you don't know what your kid's personality is going to be like. You don't know how much time they're going to need. You don't know what you're going to feel like, no matter how much they say to plan. You just, Kenya, you've said this so many times. You just simply don't know what a child's needs are going to be and how much time you're going to want to spend with them. So why not build a plan that allows that, right? Saying, call your advisor and say, hey, if I decide to take off six more months, is this really going to make a massive difference? What kind of dent is it going to make it in 10 years? And having a professional come back to you and say, you know what, this is really what the difference is going to be for you. If you reduce it here and you change this over here and you put it this into a spousal RSP rather than this RSP, you're still going to get this tax deduction. So you're going to be good to go. That's going to allow you to make an informed decision about taking off six months extra rather than saying, I have to take six months off as a necessity. And I actually don't know how it's going to affect my plan. And um, I feel really bad and we're not going to talk about it. Yeah, you said feel, 
right? And feel. So we make so many decisions based on feelings, not necessarily rational thought. I've seen that over and over again. Mm-hmm. Women deciding like, I don't know, I need to go back to work earlier because of financial circumstances or, yes. you know, I'm not bringing income into the family and my self-worth has dropped because of that. But yeah. then they feel badly because they didn't take advantage of the time with the kids that they wanted. And so it's all these yeah. emotional decisions without a found, you know, uh, like a, a foundational knowledge of your vision for your life. And I'm thinking when, when I started planning with you, and again, that's a, it's another, I, I work with, with Afshan. Now I'm looking at my accounts and, and my financial planning and how it's shifted and how it's evolved and the fears I used to have. And now how I've been able to think like, okay, well, I'm in a period of my life where I'm uncertain. I'm making, I'm, I'm changing what's really important for me based on what I've experienced. I've witnessed death. I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm kind of questioning the, the hustle and the grind and the hard work and what I'm trying to build over time. And I'm able to take a step back and say like, all right, well, even if I do take a couple of months and slow down my business growth, it's not the end of the world. I yeah. you know it's not the end of the world. There are options. Things are figure outable. Like there are, oh. you know, right. How would you say that, you know, I mean, I know you're supposed to be asking me questions, but just in general, like if you had to share with people, what's the difference for you? Because it's not like you were new to investing, right? You had an investment plan, you had all these things set up prior to meeting, um, you know, and, and building your own professional team. What's the difference been for you through all of these different life events that have been, you know, so hard and unpredictable? Like, what's the difference for you? where do I even start? I have a much bigger, more holistic picture. And I've realized like small things, I know where I'm, I've kind of broken it down more step by step. And I know where we need to take action to get the outcomes we want. And it's brought in my mind in terms of where I can build wealth. And it's not just my salary and it doesn't have to be immediate gratification. So moving mm-hmm. from this employee mindset to this CEO mindset, you get compensated very differently, right? When you run your own business it's made me a lot more creative and open-minded to the importance of, let's say, having the right insurance policy. I've spoken to so many different financial advisors, okay, from like insurance brokers to to planners, to advisors for a fee, but nobody until I worked with you was able to give me the big picture. And it doesn't Mm -hmm. matter to me if I have the six pieces, if I don't have the seventh, the seventh piece is super, super important, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So for me, having that big picture makes the world of a difference because it gives me it gives me peace of mind as to what I have to do next, allows me to be creative and it gives me the freedom to focus on what I really want. And at this stage of my yeah. life is really my yeah. kids and my family. Yeah. And, and that matters above everything else. Right. Yeah. And I don't put as much pressure on myself that I have to follow the cookie cutter pathway in terms of my career building, my career growth. And that if I don't contribute to X, Y, Z and that specific amount that I'm doomed and like my retirement is gone. Right. Or, or whatever. So it's given me peace of mind and more freedom to, to grow the way I want to grow and to enjoy the things I really want to enjoy because money is just one form of energy. Like it's one currency, right? Yeah, it is. It's a tool. And and you always speak of it as energy. I think, you know, and what I'm hearing and what I want for all mothers is to be able to have that accountability partner, right? Not only to make informed decisions, but have an advisor or professional that's working to include you in what's going on in the household, right? Even if it's your partner that ends up, you know, being involved in a lot of it, like your partner can be involved in 
it's okay if they take care of paying the utility bills or making sure there's enough money on the mortgage end or that the cash flow is right. That's not what I'm saying you have to be doing together. I mean, like making long-term decisions, short-term decisions, understanding how putting it into one account over the other is going to affect your plan, right? The, the time of the life, you know, mothers, let's, let's say, what is the age group we're dealing with anywhere from 20 years old to let's say 40 years old, 45 years old, this massive area of our life that making financial decisions is the most crucial for whether or not you finish working at 50, 55, 60, and ends up being when you take on a caregiver role when it comes to your parents. So your finances are completely affected by the decisions you make in the time period that I just suggested, right? That I just said. And so if you're not informed on what's going on, you pay for it later. And so I really just want anyone that's listening to this, like, you know, hopefully this motivates you to get yourself and other mothers more involved in working with their advisor to learn about what's important to them. Like considering questions that include them and their needs. Um, there's something that you said that stuck out to me so vividly. And I was like, nope, I believe in what we're doing. This is so important. And you had said so many times mothers are affected by something that's happening, but they're never going to speak. Their voice is not heard. And most often than not, they're, they're not even going to talk about it. Like it's happening to them. They just take on this role as this responsibility. It's a beautiful thing. Really. They're taking care of a child. They birthed something out of their body or they adopted whatever it is. Motherhood is an incredible thing. But what ends up happening is their voice and their experiences, like their lived experiences of what they go through unique to any other relationship is overlooked. And we don't have the energy to advocate for ourselves. I've made it my career right now to, to speak up and to create a space where moms speak up. But the thing is, you're always so busy. You're mm -hmm. always fighting for your, your piece of self-care that you just don't have the energy to raise your hand and say like, Hey, I need this, right? Or, hey, mm -hmm. this should change. Or when I was in my corporate job and we had diversity inclusion, I'm like, oh, I'm covered. My company has diversity and inclusion. So I should be able to have conversations about the challenges of being a working mother and flexibility. No, there was nothing, nothing. And I spent years advocating for it and nothing, mm -hmm. absolutely nothing. Yeah. And I talked to other women and even women who had children when they were really young, right? Mm -hmm. said, no, like you just don't have the energy as a mom to advocate for it for yourself. And yeah. so nothing really changes. Yeah. So, I mean, and people don't even know, like, so it, the stats are always like women live longer or after, you know, that 70% decline statistic that we started this off with saying you lose 70% of your wealth after three years, if there is a separation or a divorce or a death. I mean, most of those women are mothers, Right. And yeah, 90% of women will have children. Exactly. And it's like, that's, I'm not trying to say your only identity is being a mother, but it affects you disproportionately than other, any other, you know, demographic or identity. So I really just, I, I really want to encourage people to make sure that, you know, you can split things up in a household. If, if, and if you're a single mother or you have a partnership, regardless, being informed, making informed decisions, remember that the financial services industry was mostly built by men for men and mm -hmm. so who in your is in your corner thinking about how things affect you versus just in general advice that works for everybody you know people always ask me like what's a good rule of thumb for I'm like everything is unique to your situation who you are and what you're going through and that's why developing a plan for the stage of life that you're at and for one year down the road five years down the road and then retirement is so important yeah Absolutely. You know, you asked me what, what's made a difference for, for me. 
I told you, I think the other day in your team is the last two years have been a huge career transition for me. I was transitioning, transitioning out of a salaried corporate role to running mm -hmm. my own business yeah. with yeah. the staff and your finances get messy. Like, as you know, in the first year of running a business, money comes in, it comes out. Like you have to design a compensation strategy that can take years. You have to have the right advice from, from um, accountants and financial advisors and lawyers and all of it. It's really complicated. But you know what? I had to take a step back recently. People know I lost my dad. It's really put me kind of into at first a state of adrenaline and then a state of shock to realize. And, you know, I'm not the only one. I have a friend who has the same name as me and only child, children of immigrants. We both went through something similar. Uh, I've witnessed people dying shortly after retirement. Okay. Like working so hard all your life, then dying very early after retirement. So it's really making me think like, am I going to work nonstop until retirement? No, maybe I want a midlife retirement to, you know, really enjoy what I've built so far. Mm -hmm. Right. So I take a, just, this is a tangent I'm making, but I took a step back. I looked at my accounts, my finances have been fluid, but I looked at everything. I'm like, wait a second. I'm actually building wealth. Things are not as bad as I thought they were, but I had a vision and like, I, I really wanted to work with somebody like you. And I tried to do it myself with advice from different people, not, not necessarily because I wanted to, but I couldn't find the right person. And, and the difference from working with you for even a couple of months, it's been less than a year. And I look at everything versus how it used to be and how it was kind of all over the mm -hmm. place. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's, it's incomparable. It's incomparable. You know what it is, Kenya? It's the fact that we were raised to think about what income we're earning. It's always about, we need more income. We need to make more, but that's not the case. If you start to realize that cash is not the thing, like an, a dollar that you earn, depending on your tax bracket is automatically 70 cents to you. So when you earn an income, you automatically already lost some of it. You know, in our world, we call it a dep depreciating asset. Money income is not an asset, but it's a depreciating thing. As soon as you get it, you lose some to taxes. And then if it sits in your account, it's losing purchasing power over time. So we're just taught like more money, get more, get an income. And what we're not doing is realizing that you have to put your money into assets that are going to generate you revenue hmm. so that when you're going through these tough times, no matter how much money or wealth you have, everybody has cash flow issues. There's just changes in your life that are going to affect your cash flow. It's not a bad thing or it's not a good thing. It's a fact of life. There's going to be things that happen to you in your life that affect your cash flow. And what you need to have is assets built that are generating revenue or some sort of income when building wealth, like you just spoke about, as opposed to, oh my gosh, this income is going to be taken away from me. What do I do? Knowing in the background, you have your net worth being built and these assets generating revenue, you can take those short-term or temporary drops in income or changes because you have things set up for yourself, right? And this is why I always try to get people out of that cycle of your income, pay for your expenses, and then savings account, right? It's like, oh, the goal is to have this much in my savings account, have my expenses paid for for a year, and this income. And that's it. They think like, it's a wrap. Or I just max out my RSPs and my TFSAs and we're good. And there's no strategy or even like goal building or dreams around what kind of assets do you want to own? Right. What, for what purpose? Yeah. For what purpose? And is a mother ever going to get asked that by her advisor, by her team for herself, if she's building her own plan, like where does it involve what type of life you're going to want to have? Like when you think about the quality of life in the dream, or let's say they, these, a mother takes your program soon to be mother, a mother takes your program and goes through this whole concept of like building, um, you know, that 
the, the dream board or the vision board, when she starts to finally have a space where she can do that, what are the assets that you're going to own that are going to facilitate that type of dream? It's not going to be your income that gets you there, no matter how much you make. So I think that that's, that's a result of the fact that we are raised to believe that all you need to do is go to school and get a good job and have this income and you're set. And then you're in real life and you're like, wait, that's not how it works. <laughs> it's not even about how much I make. You know what I mean? You could have, whether you're a business owner or you earn an income, I mean, you can land 50 grand and tomorrow, if you don't have a plan or strategy for it to put it towards something that's going to build you more money or more revenue, it's going to be gone. It's true, right? Uh, often people who win the lottery and they, yeah. they lose the money because they don't have the skills to manage the wealth. So, okay, let's take a step back for a second to pregnant me. A lot of women are in that situation as well, because what shifted for me is going from that really like tactical, making the tactical decisions. I remember I wanted to figure out, yeah. first of all, my insurance policy. Okay. So I, yeah. I you get this ladder and you're like, do you keep it or do you let it go? And let's say it costs a couple of thousand dollars mm -hmm. to have, um, accidental death and dismemberment and I think my life insurance and for me they were I remember they were bundled together I'm like that's really going to affect my cash flow I'm going to get EI and then I have to pay you know thousands of dollars for this thing that I don't even know what it's for right so that's one of the tactical decisions I was trying to make and I was really stuck on another one was my benefits right so you can kind of you get like extra money and you can allocate it to I don't know massages or you can put in a TFSA and RRSP I need to figure out, am I still going to get that money or not? Like that was a big deal for me at that stage in my career. So another tactical decision, mm -hmm. then EI money, is it, you know, do I get all that money? Is it going to be taxed or not? Then any top-ups, how, mm -hmm. you know, is that going to be taxed or not? So to get a picture of my cash flow, I was really focused on the short term and I didn't have anybody to really guide me. Oh, and add to that my pension buyback. So I heard somewhere in some obscure paperwork that I could use my RSP money to do a pension buyback and the advisor and like, I'm going to be super open about this, right? Because I know a lot of people are facing it, but he said, do the buyback, like do the buyback, this, you know, defined benefit pension plan. That is the, a golden egg, you know, they almost don't exist these days. So I'm like, okay, do the buyback, do the buyback. Right. But it was also tactical. And it wasn't part of the big picture and kind of the goals and the lifestyle that I want to lead with my husband and the forget the abundance mindset. I didn't even know what that meant. But, you know, now I'm realizing like once I've done the big picture, I've realized that all the efforts we've been putting together with my husband and paying off our mortgage and, and all of that, like I realized we built a lot of assets and it gives me a peace of mind to think I don't have to just be in this mentality of like one or three months ahead I'm looking at the big picture the legacy I want to build and how I want to spend my time my most finite currency in this season of my life right so yes. I mentioned a couple of tactical things now let's say if I had the privilege and joy of meeting you back then I would have met you and said Afsha okay I'm going on my mat leave in four months these are the decisions I'm trying to make what would we have done together to work on my financial plan as a, as a newly pregnant woman? Everything that you just said, for everyone listening to this, if you noticed what Kenya had said, you basically look at your life like it's on a timeline and it's a timeline of life mm -hmm. events. Like you're basically hopping through these trials and things that are being thrown at you like oh then this happened then there was a pension buyback opportunity then there was this thing and I was on mat leave and I was I didn't know about this like everything is just a set of circumstances or events that's happening to you and you're dealing with them at that time. 
So when you're talking about big picture, big picture isn't just like, what is my overall goal? It's thinking about all of those things and how they affect you in five years. What can you do to take every single thing that you just talked about, Kenya, every single example to put into something and say, if all of this happened in this five-year time frame, where will I be in 10 years? How's that going to affect me? How do you build that? How do you even begin to, to process how that's going to affect you in 10 years? Because you know how they say that thing, like, don't go to bed angry or don't go to bed or, or you know, don't um, be angry about anything that if in five years, it's not going to matter. So shouldn't we be applying that to our finances, right? If you're able to put something into a plan and I'm able to build a projection for my client and say, well, Mr. Mrs. So-and-so in 10 years, this is how it's really going to be this blimp in your radar. It's not going to actually affect mm -hmm. you. Or, oh, by the way, if you contribute to this and not this account, it's going to reduce your net worth by 30%. So definitely take advantage of that before you go into mat leave. I think that's the most important thing, right? You're talking about, you're, you're getting a, um, a picture of, let's say, uh, a pregnant mother, she's about to go into mat leave or have her baby and, and what should be she be looking at? It's looking at those different circumstances. So um, is CPP truly, if you're not going to be able to contribute to your CPP because you're not working, is that going to affect you in 15 years when you might have to claim your CPP or 20 years or 30 years when you're claiming your CPP, right? When you're thinking about your pay stub and how that's no longer going to happen, what are all the things that are being deducted off your pay stub that are no longer there? going to affect you overall again in that 10 year time frame. I think that's the thing is that I can I can't give specifics on you should go do A and B and C because you need to your situation. But I can give certain examples of what I've seen in all the mothers that I work with currently. And I can say things like stuff that's missing is a basic concept of a spousal RSP, right? So when it comes to, let's say, for example, like a Canadian pension plan, I'll go into a specific thing here. Okay. Canadian pension plan is something that you receive from the government in retirement, but it's something you contribute to through your employer and yourself. That's what that is, CPP. So there is a um, exception where during childbearing years, there's a certain amount of years and that's not gonna affect you for later on, even if you didn't contribute, which is wonderful, right? But let's say that it did affect you. Let's say you had an employer pension or something that's going to affect you where you can't contribute to it because you're on mat leave. Well, then what you can do as a household is decide to contribute to a spousal RSP rather than your partner contribute to their RSP so that later on in 10 years, when you need to withdraw, you can actually income split properly and not have all of the income, the CPP contributions, the pension contributions, the RSP contributions be in, let's say, for example, the father's uh, accounts mm -hmm. and the mother kind of receives that penalty that you speak of. Mm -hmm. There's a way to split and there's solutions. The, the craziest part about the, the statistics that we see is that there's solutions for it. Like we can do things in our financial planning world. And so that's what I'm focused on is when I'm meeting with a mother or father, I, you will not believe this. I asked um, my associate and I were working on this the other day, like what type of marketing and education do we want to give mothers out there? What's specific to them? And one of the things that um, my team member said was like, well, it's no different than what we're doing here. And the reason is, is because we're inclusive of mothers every single time, no matter what you're going to be considered when you're working with us as to if you're taking time off, how we should split the finances, where things should go. So that at the end of the day, you're not really affected by the fact that you're not making an income. At the end of the day, you have a distribution plan that considers yes. the fact that you took time off, the fact that you couldn't contribute to this, the fact that it's going to be lower in your taxes for your household overall. So 
that would be my advice is to start to look at it um, in terms of all the different factors that can affect you, the life events that are going to happen. And then what, 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 how is it really going to affect you in 10 years rather than approaching each life event at a time and then making decisions in that temporary time frame and wondering the entire time if it was the right decision and that's what you were supposed to do. Absolutely. Well, my lesson, and again, you know, I, I, I'm working with you, I school like this, the disclaimer, um, having an expert by your side. That's one of the things I stress so much in the mom BA and with pros and babes is if you want to build a successful career is you cannot do everything on your own. You have to de- delegate. I talk mm-hmm. about becoming the CEO of your life in a company, a CEO has a bunch of direct reports. So yeah. if you're a mom who wants to advance in your career, be a manager or rise to a director level or higher, you have to learn to delegate. You have to learn to outsource. Otherwise you're going to plateau at like that six figure mark. The skill yeah. set of somebody who goes beyond, you know, hundred thousand dollars or $150,000 in salary is somebody who can learn to manage and delegate other people. You mm-hmm. should be applying those same principles in your personal life and your finances as well. There's no way that you can be an expert on life insurance, estate planning, contribution plan, distribution plan, what kind of financial assets to manage and distribute, um, pension buybacks, pension distribution, pension transfers, you know, tax deferrals, tax, like, it, you know, it's, it's huge. It's yep. huge. And so here, here's, here's my biases work with somebody who, who can actually guide you through that stuff and help you make the decisions along the way. Right. You know what it is, is like, if we go back to the, the mother who's about to approach mat leave, like what is so important for anyone listening to this, to understand for this, to really help you is to have realistic cash flow expectations, right? Like, are you going to be contributing before mat leave during mat leave? And then after, what is it going to be? Like, we're working on plans right now from others where we're saying we're the timeline for their financial plan is based on their mat leave and having a child. When have you ever seen the financial plan say before mat leave, after mat leave, receiving EI, like the timelines are never based around that timelines are based around life events that affect everybody, not specific to motherhood. So I would say Mm. making sure that your financial plan includes, well, I'm going to contribute this and this is where we're going to contribute it to so that later on in life, it's going to come out of these things before mat leave. When I'm in mat leave, I we always say like, okay, let's say they're about to go into mat leave in 2022. We actually have it February, 2022. This is your mat leave. Now you're going to be for this, however many months doing this type of contribution, doing this type of debt repayment. This is the expenses that are going to be included. And then we have a plan starting, let's say December, 2022. This is how things change. So it's not a fiscal year. It's based on your life events of what's changing. Yeah, absolutely. So do financial planners in general, what you know, in your in your industry first? Okay, first of all, statistics, what percentage of financial planners are men and women? I wish I had a stat. I mean, I can tell you right now at my office, I'm the only female minority that's a consultant. And you know what, if anyone has me on social media, you'll see when I'm in meetings pre COVID life, like you'll be at a conference, and it's just a sea of like white balding heads. (laughs) It's like, people will be like, that's where you work. I'm like, yeah, I really don't fit in here. I'm like the only person not wearing, wearing a skirt or, you know, so okay, I think everybody, knows. 10% maybe are women, 20% are women. Even, What's I your estimate? Even, I can't even, I, I honestly, like, I don't want to pick on companies or, you know, yeah. which I just, I'm telling you, Kate, listen, there's like rules around 
okay, I have to tell you this very exciting thing. It's kind of a tangent, but I'm going to be announcing it soon. I haven't even yet online, but I will in your podcast. So I found a global women's leadership fund that you can invest in where there's this rule that if you do not, if a company doesn't have at least 30% on their board of women, Mm -hmm. you don't make the cut. Okay. And so the second most exciting thing is not only is it promoting gender diversity, but we actually killed the performance. So let's say it's a global equity women's leadership fund. When you compare it to how just the global equity fund that didn't have those rules did, we killed it. Wow. So we're not only making these rules around, okay, women should be on the board. We're actually economically in when it comes to the stock market performing better. But if you think about that statistic that you have to have 30% on the board, that's the requirement Although that's a great thing, think about, you're asking me for a statistic. The rule is that 30% need to be on the board. Like this, this, that's like this huge thing to accomplish. Well, I mean, that should give you a lot with just understanding how rare it really is to have women in this industry. Right. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. All right. I'll go back to my list of questions. I really want people to walk away with actionable advice with, with what they should do. So first of all, understand like zooming back to what we mentioned all these tactical decisions that I was trying to make before mm-hmm. my first maternity leave, and even my second one you know I can feel mm-hmm. like mat leave can feel like such a huge blow to your finances because there's this huge uncertainty too you don't know how you're going to feel about your career how much you want to work I work with a lot of women in competitive male dominated fields it's like sometimes 60 hours per week once you have kids a lot of them are wondering if that's what they want to do many women switch jobs they switch companies like not many companies are really proactive in terms of having retention conversations with their mothers right it's just Mm -hmm. not a it's not a thing so um actionable advice so first of all take a step back and realize that things are figure outable with the right advice you can still build wealth and financial security, mm-hmm. even if your cash flow is seemingly taking a hit during those child rearing years, right? So you can take time off and apply the appropriate strategies and not be disproportionately affected later on. Yes. That's the whole solution here is that if you, you have an advisor or you make the right decisions for yourself by putting in the right strategy in place later on, even though you're not able to contribute to those things, you're not going to be disproportionately affected later on, even though right now, statistically speaking, women are and mothers yes. are. Yes, I was pulling up some stats that, you know, the average wage gap with every child is 12 to 20%. So 12 with one child up to 20% after having three. And that was uh, RBC and I believe Statistics Canada. I, like, I, I pulled up a bunch of, of, um, of information, but the impact on income lasts for five years, five years. Okay. Now, if a mom has a few kids, I mean, that, that stretches longer, but a lot of elements can impact that, right? The length of your leave, your industry, your union status, your competence at what age you have your kids. Like we're most affected when we have kids in our thirties, if you have them in your twenties or your forties is different, but in your thirties, that's where you might face the biggest hit. So what does a good financial strategy and plan include? There's tax planning. What else? So income and debt management, 100%, right? That's the first thing people think is affecting them. So when I was explaining timelines and the timelines of your income and debt management part of your plan, including the dates that actually affect you as a mother. 
<laughs> not just, oh, January to, to December or, you know, the end of RSP season or the end of tax season. No, like the timeline in your plan should include when you're going on mat leave, when you're off mat leave, if you decide to go back, what if you prolong six months? That's the actionable item is that making sure your plan includes the dates that are going to affect you specifically as a mother financially. Okay. So that, then what about other elements like insurance or saving for your kids' yeah. future education? So those are two more elements of a financial plan. Yeah. So what we do whenever we have a pregnant mother as a client and we know that they're going to be having a child, I mean, first off, we're so excited. We're planning. We've done this so many times where it's like this transition where I'm like, next time you come, it'll be three of you or two of you. And it's very exciting. But um, you build a plan around saying, okay, we know that maybe in your first month, you're not even going to know if you showered. So let's, <laughs> yeah. let's figure out what we need to do so that I'm not calling you at this time saying, let's set up your RESP. Like, okay, let's be realistic here. But that's the pressure that a mother will have. So when it comes to education savings, knowing that there's alternatives, I do all of that with the mother before they have their child. When they find out they're pregnant and they're starting to think about all these decisions that they're making, in addition to announcing the pregnancy, it's also like, well, when my child is born, what do I want for them? You're starting to make, starting to think about these things that maybe you haven't thought about before. Do I want their education paid for? And if it's not education that I want to provide for them, then are there alternative vehicles that I can put you know, together in my financial plan once they're born. And then we say, okay, you know what? Let's set this up when they're one years old. So then when you have your baby, you can really decide between taking care of your child and showering and not taking care of your child and showing up for a meeting with me. Okay. So, okay. Well, since we're talking about saving for education, um, you know, when you have kids and you send them to childcare, it can be more than your uh, mortgage payment amount right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. try to pay for childcare and save up for the education at the same time and put something away to take care of yourself and put money into your investments. And boom, like that's, it's a, it feels like a lot. Mm -hmm. So Thank how you. do you have those conversations around all, all of that stuff competing for your attention? And you feel like, is there anything left for us to have fun at the end of the day? Yeah. Everything you're asking has to do with the timeline everything. I always read this. You can have, you know, everything you want, just maybe not at the same time. That is the biggest thing to understand that just because you can't put to an RESP right now, doesn't mean you can't later. So it's coming up with the appropriate timeline in which you can contribute to those things that you say are important to you. You don't have to have, you have to, don't have to be funding every single goal for the goal to be funded at some point in your life. You just need to know that it's going to come. Right. We get so used to saying, well, I've made this financial decision and this one and this one. And if I'm not doing this one, then it's the equivalent of not doing it at all. Mm -hmm. But if you had a plan that said, no, you're going to start this in January 2022, that's going to take off some of that burden off your plate that you're going to. So every question you're asking has to do with a timeline in which you might not be able to afford it right now. Like, honestly, childcare is no joke. I have people having to decide between going to work or paying and paying for childcare or not working. Sometimes not working is the more lucrative option. Depending on which angle, like what are your quality of life goals, right? And exactly. How you want to spend time with your kids and, and at different stages of your lives, right? It's true. Time flies. I already yeah. have a four and a two-year-old. That's crazy how, how fast right? they grow up. Yeah. And then, absolutely. and then in addition to just like income and expenses and your child's education, now tie in things like inflation, 
and how the cost of living is going to go up from when your child was not born or just born to when they're five years old and going to school to when they're 18 and in school, what are you really going to need, right? A right. simple retirement calculator on Google is not going to take into effect the, the increases in inflation. It's not going to take into effect like the differences in investment income that you receive. It's not going to take into effect estate planning. Like when we get into the conversation around generational wealth, we can build a plan while you're on mat leave saying, this is how your estate planning is going to happen. And this is what your kids are going to receive. Like, it sounds like it's crazy and in advance, but really what it does is it takes off that burden of feeling like you have to get to it or you haven't done it yet. I, I can't stress enough that just because you're not doing it right now, doesn't mean it can't be in your plan for later so that you know, you'll get to it when you can and a time that's appropriate for you in your life. Yeah. So again, what we're saying is that with the right plan, with the right strategies, with the right advice and holistic financial planning, mothers can take a deep breath. We can tackle the million dollar wealth gap and the quote unquote motherhood penalty and really structure our finances and the distribution of assets and the selection of assets in a way that career breaks don't have to mean a disaster for a mom's career. Mm -hmm. And she can still have time with kids. And she can, and it's, it doesn't have to be like, well, if we do this, we're going to increase our debt and it's going to go into this. Well, if that's the case, if making this decision to stay with your kids this much longer is going to increase your debt by X amount, we're going to look into what is that X amount? What's the interest you're paying? What are your investments earning? And again, in the long run, in five years, is this really going to matter? And if it does matter, how does it affect your plan? So you can make an informed decision that if my net worth has decreased by $5,000 or $10,000 in this time frame because I took that extra time off now and didn't contribute, then you're going to be able to decide, well, that's, that's worth me spending more time with my kids. Like you shouldn't have to pick and choose just based on like emotion and feeling guilty that you want to spend time with your, your kid and, and money doesn't matter. Money matters. Like half the time you're trying to plan what you're going to be able to leave for yourself for retirement and feed yourself and, and then prepare for leaving for them or their, for their education. So I think it's just, it's important to know that you can have it at different sequences on a timeline. So maybe in your first six months that you're on mat leave, you can't contribute, but maybe by the seventh month, there's a different change in your financial situation and you can contribute. It just, I really want to stress flexibility because I think there's so much pressure for mothers to do everything right and to get it all done and have it all done. And that's what we see online. Like I can barely take care of myself and get my hair done and myself dressed. And then I see a mother and who's just perfect. And I'm like, you show up and you look like this. I don't think that's realistic. And I really want to take off the pressure of, of motherhood by saying that, you know, you're going to get to it. And this is the date. It's the same thing for debt repayment. Some people are like, I want to be out of debt today. I'm like, well, let's look like make a plan that's realistic and say in a year and a half, if by July, 2022, this is your debt repayment plan, and it's going to be complete. As long as you stick to it, will you be able to sleep better at night? You can apply that to every situation when it comes to mothers and the decisions that they have to face where you can relieve some of that pressure and say, yep, you're not doing it right now, but you know when you are going to do it, this date. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so how do how do moms find the right financial advisor and how do you make choices who to work with? Because not all advisors are equal, not all. Yeah. And there's minimum, right, minimum requirements. And I know that you know, um, I don't know if there's a wait list to work with you, Afsha, or yeah, how, where, where to start. Yeah. It can really feel overwhelming. 
I think honestly, like I, this is so hard not to answer in a biased way. I mean, I am a consultant. I take on um, mothers all of the time and I enjoy working with them um, probably because I'm inclusive of what they're going through, but to pick your advisor, like they have to ask questions that involve you. Are they, you know, your advisor should be a voice for you. Simply put, you should be able to go into a meeting and not have known to ask those questions and the advisor bring them up for you. Like, oh, hey, you know, Kenya, I know you're going to be going into mat leave or you have a one-year-old and this is affecting you in such and such way. So let's make sure we include that in your plan here. Right? They're speaking for you. They're a voice for you. Okay, but the reality is that not all advisors are equal. I've heard people saying, well, you know, before the person I was with didn't take care of me at all. Mm-hmm. And I, again, I remember going back to to some of the advice I was reading, right, reading Money Sense magazine or, and they're always talking about fees, okay? So mm-hmm. I went with this mentality, like, and a lot of people go in with this mentality, lower fee is better. Mm-hmm. Oh, so you know that global women's leadership fund I talked about? Yeah. We killed it in that fund and the fees are higher for it. Do I care? No, my money's still going to make money. Right. So I guess what we could do is break it down between, you know, and I'm going to be posting about this soon. And it's basically saying like, when should you work with a financial consultant and when is it right for you versus DIY, you know, doing it yourself Mm -hmm. or, or maybe just an advisor that you don't have that relationship with. And maybe it doesn't bother you. And so I always say this, like, so you should work with a financial consultant if you want to make money without having to check the markets every day. Okay. Um, You want an accountability partner that understands your goals in order to commit to your plan. Right. And the changes that you're about to face in your life. You should work with an advisor if um, you want things automated and you want an advisor working behind the scenes for you. Right. Um, It's if you don't want to make costly mistakes or forget to check on your portfolio right? How often that does that happen? Um, If you want tax planning and income and debt management and estate planning and building your net worth to be included in your investment plan, and you don't just want an investment account, that's when you work with an advisor. Um, And number one thing is when you just don't have the time to do it yourself. I have so many incredibly smart clients, very wealthy clients who could do it, but they're wealthy because they focus on what their objective and what their profession is. And they come to me for the finance part of it. When I think you should do it yourself and not work with an advisor is things like, you know, you understand fundamental and technical analysis when it comes to investing. When you have the time to check the markets and you make trades by yourself, um, you know how to pick good companies and you're comfortable or you're comfortable with holding certain ETFs and you know when you want to buy or sell or when you want to hold. Like if you know how to do those things, you should do it yourself and you shouldn't work with an advisor, right? Um, another thing I have here is like, can you stomach 30% drops? Or are you going to let fear make you pull the trigger? Do you have strategy behind when you buy and sell? Or are you letting emotions, you know, trigger your life events that happen to you trigger how you actually respond to your finances? Like I can't stress having accountability enough. Some people don't need that. And you should have an honest conversation with yourself about whether or not you want that. Because if you do, then you pay a fee for it, right? Some people are so stuck on fees, they're not even thinking about the return that they get. You see these commercials, right? You see one where it's like, oh, are you still working with mom and dad's person? Or, you know, I think there's so much danger to conversations like that because what's happening is the people that do need the advice and don't have the time to figure it out end up not getting the advice that they could be paying for 
and their net worth suffers. You'll see them have $400,000 less. They're affected by half a million in assets and net worth over time because they 400,000. Yeah. In 10 years, I did a plan for some, somebody where it was like in 10 years, if you change this and you did these things versus what your traditional, like they were still investing, still paying down their debt. We didn't change their income, nothing. We didn't change their expenses. We just applied strategy to the plan. And in 10 years, it was $400,000. So if someone was to say, if you work with this advisor, you're going to get 40 grand of income more than what you get now. So instead of 90,000, you're going to make 120 because you're working with this person, are you going to be thinking about the fee? Right? So I think that all of these things are important. I don't judge either or. I think it's incredible when people can do it themselves. There's a lot of people who quit their jobs and become day traders, who become the people who are like, my morning time is to trade my money. My morning time is to figure out my tax and my finances. So it's just about making the right decision for you and not letting someone who can do it all by themselves affect your ability to make the decision that maybe you do want someone who takes care of it. Absolutely. Well, yeah. And, and it's, you know, we, we tend to think like, oh, it's just stocks and investments, but at the end of the day, it's understanding different insurance products. And like you talked about how life insurance is the only way to transfer income without taxes or something like that. I don't know if I'm, yeah. but it's one of your the tax-free best savings account and your insurance products are the only tax-free rollovers from you to your kids. Think about it and all the different assets you can own and, and your principal residence, like your home, right? But really like as an asset to hold it separately, not something you live in or a tax-free savings account where there's a limit. The only thing as an investment that can earn a dividend that can roll over tax-free to your kids is life insurance. Some people don't know that, right? And it can and make some- a huge difference in well, intergenerational wealth building, right? And then your insurability. So, crazy. so you yeah. have to understand that and the different products. Okay, let's let's discuss one last question. You and I could always talk forever, but you talked about a contribution plan, but then a distribution plan. And those mm-hmm. are two very different things. Mm-hmm. So yeah. in terms of, again, if you're going to do it yourself, right, you have to have a checklist of things you're going to, you're going to understand. So yeah. a distribution plan, how does, how does a, an advisor and a DIYer approach a distribution plan? And what is that? First of all, what is a distribution I plan? I have yet to see, okay, I've been in the finance industry for what, 13 years. I have yet to see a DIY or have a distribution plan. Okay, they focus on what they're making. They focus on their return. A DIY is usually, by the way, it's usually not a wealth management plan. It's usually just an investment plan. So that was another thing is that, you know, you should DIY if you don't want any other area of wealth management and you only want to invest and you don't want to pay fees. So that's the thing to remember is that if you're going to have a, a plan in place and you want wealth management and stuff, DIYers usually aren't doing that. I don't want to speak for every single one, but statistically speaking, that's not happening. A pregnant pause while I was taking yeah. a sip of water. But okay, so let's get into as the last question, what is a distribution plan, right? So you've been working hard all your life. You build building these assets. You have the proper insurance documents. You've saved up for your kids' education all of that. Now you've accumulated wealth and now Mm -hmm. it's time to move on to a different season of your life where you're either retired or semi-retired. If, if, you know, if you're lucky, because I'm seeing this more and more, it's going to happen with our generation. I don't know. All types of different illnesses are plaguing us that I didn't see necessarily for my grandparents. Um, But let's say you're, you're done with your professional life as you know it today. 
Mm-hmm. You need a distribution plan that is distributing mm-hmm. your wealth and kind of like dripping. And we mm-hmm. never know when we're going to leave this earth, right? Yeah. So tell us about a distribution plan and what it entails. Please. It really, a distribution plan to define it and make it very simple is that it's your exit strategy. You always want to have the end in mind, right? We're so constant. You know, one of my biggest things for clients going into retirement is getting them from the mindset switch of I'm contributing to my plan and now I'm taking from my plan. Like when you're switching into semi-retirement or retirement, or you're taking some years off, you're no longer contributing to your plan. You're taking out. And people don't realize that there's strategy involved in how you take it out. Huge. There's huge consequences to not taking your money out the right way. So a distribution plan is basically saying, what's the most tax efficient or tax effective way of taking my money out? And which account do I take it from? You have built all this wealth. You have all these assets. You have real estate. You have your cottage, your principal residence. You have your insurance plan. You have your RSPs, TFSAs, retirement accounts, pension. What? Do, where do you take it from? Let's say you're going into retirement and you want to buy a car. You need a lump sum of $50,000 to buy your car. Where do you take it from? That's a distribution plan. You need $4,000 a month to live off monthly expenses, or you need $8,000 a month to live off monthly expenses. You don't have a mortgage anymore, but these are basic living expenses that your lifestyle requires. Where are you taking it from? How much are you taking from each account? How often are you taking it out? And year to year, how does that differ? That's a distribution plan in a nutshell. So would you use a software to do that? Spreadsheets? How? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. So many different things, but absolutely software. We have very complex, amazing software that you can change a tiny little thing today and then say, well, this is how it's going to affect your distribution down the road. I can take basically, I can cut into any part of your life in the future, put in specific indicators and say, this is how you're going to be able to take out money later on. Like we do it in a tax efficient way. We do it in an appropriate manner. We do it based on what your lifestyle is. If I know my client says, oh, I spend this much, but then I know that they have a cabin and I see their statements and this is actually what happens. I'm going to build a plan around that. So when I say distribution plan, I mean, taxes are a massive one, but so are like, if you have an asset that's building a certain amount of interest or a certain amount of investment income, should you be selling from that? Or should you be taking it from like your line of credit? Like, where do you take money from? Just, it's the same way as when you're doing a contribution plan and you're trying to think about what do I contribute to? Which account is best? Should I do an RSP or should I do a TFSA or should I buy more real estate? Mm-hmm. Those questions are the same thing that you're going to consider when it comes to pulling out, when you're, you're withdrawing from it. Yes. So much fascinating information. So for, to, to wrap it up, to wrap our episode today, we will, we will say this. First of all, mamas, take stock, take awareness and start, you know, recognize that as a mother, your career and financial outcomes will be shaped by caregiving duties. Number one. Number two, you live longer. Generally, you retire earlier, right? You are at greater risk for wealth erosion and career capital erosion. So those discussions and the right advice and somebody in your corner is so, so, so important. Don't try to do it yourself and don't think that HR is going to tell you about the motherhood penalty because they won't. Don't think that the Canadian Revenue Agency, CRA, where you get your EI will give you this advice because they won't. Your account. Don't don't think your pension is going to tell you you have this amazing lump sum you can transfer instead of waiting till you're 65 for this 
small monthly paycheck. Right. They won't tell you. They won't tell you. There's not one other than working with a a seasoned financial advisor like AFSHA or others. If you, you know, if you, if you decide to, if you find somebody. The right fit for you. Yeah. The right fit for you. Absolutely. Um, Who else won't tell you about this? Well, there's not really one person, whether it's at your job or your spouse, or generally speaking, you you have to look at things from a holistic perspective. You have to figure out your vision. That's why in the Mumbai program, we talk about the 25 year vision and kind of reverse engineer from there. And like, when you think about yourself and that's going to be actually, that's going to be my real last question for you, Afshay, you know, when you think of yourself on that beach with your kids in 25 years and, you know, they're talking about the life that you built together and the memories that you built and how how you spend time together and what you taught them. One of the things that need to be part of that vision is a financial plan. If you want to be on that beach, if you want to be healthy, if you want to have the funds, you have to have that financial plan. So Afsha, to wrap up our interview today, in 25 years, what would you like your, your either your kids or your nephews or your nieces? Now imagine you're, you're sitting on that beach, like you, you are thinking about that next season of your life. And you're, yeah. you're sitting with your nearest and dearest. What are the top three things that they're saying about you and that, that the 25 years you spent together building memories? Question. It would be um, like, first and foremost, you know, what I would want for anyone to say about me in, in that time frame is that she wasn't afraid of breaking barriers, right? So much of what we talked about today comes from this just traditional mold that we're put into. And it's like, well, that's just the way it's always been. Well, the, I don't look at the finances because of this, or I don't do this because it's just like that. So for me, it would be that I, she was never afraid to break a barrier and figure out a solution, even though, you know, there were certain circumstances or cards that we've been given. That's my number one thing is like breaking stereotypes, seeing that there are statistics that exist that do disproportionately affect us in whatever way, but I was someone who was able to break those barriers and find solutions within that reality. That's my number one thing. Um, number two would be that um, she made an impact on my life, whether it was for a short period of time or a long period of time that I was a different person, something affected me because of her impact is huge for me. It's why I started going online and you know, doing free education. It's why I connected with youths because I think those things create true impact and I want that to continue decades down the road. Yeah. I love it. I love it. All right. Well, everybody look in the show notes on where to find Afsha. You are very, very findable. So social media, right? You have an account, Afsha on the run, Afsha Consulting. You're on Clubhouse. You're on Instagram. You're on LinkedIn. So people can find you. And I know you have a lot of interesting projects in the work. So thank you so much for your time today. And absolutely. Yeah, we will see you in our next conversation. We will. Awesome. Thanks, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today. Now make sure to review the show notes for any information we shared today, either about our guests or from myself. And then if you're ready to take action and turn working motherhood overwhelm into your greatest advantage, then head on over to our Facebook group, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash pros and babes. Again, info in the show notes. Make sure to get the support you need to succeed in family and career and be the first to know about new live networking events and training. And of course, connect with other moms who understand exactly what you're going through as a mom with a demanding career. If you're getting value from the show, I would be so grateful if you left us a review so we can reach more moms like you, moms in corporate, competitive and STEM careers who should never be alone 
with a crushing overwhelm of trying to balance family and career life. See you next time. Thank you.